You're listening to the Falcher Ireland Inside Tourism Business Podcast, the definitive podcast for tourism operators, bringing you expert advice, insights, and practical tools to help you navigate the challenges your business is facing. My name is Ruth Hegarty, and I'm your host for the first series of Falcher Ireland's new podcast, where we delve inside food, examining trends, innovations, and tackling costs to help you run a leaner, more successful food operation. Welcome back to Falter Ireland's Inside Tourism Business Podcast. This is episode three of our Inside Food series. And in this episode, we take a fresh look at food costs. I'm joined once again by chef and food consultant Niall Hill of Niall Hill Foods. And we're delighted to have with us today, Mark Anderson, Culinary Director of Gather and Gather. You're both very welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Hi, Mark. Hi, guys. One of the key motivations behind this podcast series is to help the tourism industry to build back better after this crisis period. A vital aspect of this will be to carefully manage costs. So today we're focusing in detail on what hospitality businesses can do to carefully analyse and improve their food costs and achieve better margins. So Niall, I'll start with you. Controlling costs, it's of course, it's a crucial aspect of any business. Why is keeping careful control of food costs in particular so important? And can you talk a bit about what are some of the key principles to consider around food cost management? Sure, Ruth, no problem. If you think about it, right, your food costs can make up one third of your cost of sales. So that's huge in terms of a cost factor uh, within any kind of food business. But I think the most important part is that you do understand that it's a variable cost. And what I mean variable is that it can change. And like areas that this can change in is that, you know, an ingredient uh, changes, you overorder uh, and you've waste. So these are all areas that it can be variable. But I think the most important part is that a good business owner or chef really understands the fundamentals of their different costs. So from plate cost, uh, how to calculate food cost percentage and how to work out those for- formulas and I think uh, knowing that puts them in really good stead to keep on growing the business and moving forward and I always say to uh, businesses or to chefs that you know it's one of the costs that is in your control uh, and I can't emphasize enough that it is a variable cost. Okay Mark I suppose one of the key areas around controlling your food costs is is obviously your food purchasing so I, do you have some advice around how businesses can purchase smarter and how they can deal with their suppliers in order to keep control on their food costs? Great question, Rue. I suppose the very simple answer is about having that honest and really open communication with your supplier so you can understand what works for you and he can also benefit from your information and your business needs. There's no point in you just sitting in front of a computer placing orders daily if you don't understand the whole process of how that product that you're actually buying gets to the plate. Um, and we have a great relationship with our suppliers and how they grow. We understand the seasons better, when the product is at its best for actually using so that we can actually do it justice and in our cooking and our kitchens and do it just as well on the plate and actually you get the best possible return from our selling price uh, from our customers and that's really 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 important and also being open and honest with them when you're busy and being able to ramp up and when there's actually that slack time or that lower time in your business that he understands that that's really 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 critical but open and honest communication is, is vital in that. And Mark are there ways that I suppose in terms of kind of partnering with your suppliers around you know when you're developing dishes and and menus that you can really work with them to make sure that you know you meet your your food cost targets 
Yeah, we really encourage our, our partners to come into the kitchens with us and also for us to go to their farms as a matter of to understand their product. So they understand what we're doing with our, their product to get it onto the plate. Because sometimes there might be a variety of, I don't know, say potato or carrot or something that we're using that they may be growing something different that's actually of a better yield or a better price for us that would do the same job. And also for us to go and understand what it takes to get the product on so that we have a lot more um, knowledge about wastage and understanding the use of the product. Um, if we go and see how they grow it or how it's uh, it's manufactured or made so they're really 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 important for me because we want our partnerships to be real as opposed to just transactional so everybody wins in, in this situation Niall on that question of I suppose developing menus and dishes I think perhaps there's a time in the past where you know places might have had a fairly standard menu that they they roll out all the time and then it's a question of maybe just going out to your suppliers and finding who can supply the the ingredients you need for the least amount of money but you know does really meeting your food cost targets start at that point of developing your dishes and I suppose can you still be creative and vary your dishes and and meet your food cost targets? Absolutely, Ruth. I think I kind of echo what Mark is saying about developing that partnership because I always feel that, you know, your supplier is just more than a supplier. They're a stakeholder in your business. And as you grow, they grow. So forging that relationship is absolutely critical. But there's also different areas that you can have a look at. So, you know, from a pricing point of view, it's having that clear communication and a plan in place to review your ingredients and the price of ingredients and what's coming in the season and what's also going in the season. So for me, a good point is to really kind of have a look at your good basic recipes and, you know, I think innovation is key. Um, so for me, if I develop a, a good recipe that can go right through the seasonings and it's knowing when these ingredients are going to come in and out. So your food cost is almost 90% done on dish, but you're only maybe slightly changing uh, an ingredient in there. And a, a perfect example of this would be, say, you know, a cobbler or an Irish crumble where it's going through the season. So you're going through the autumn, the winter, then into the spring and then into the summer, you know, and you have a fantastic base recipe but it's also creating that innovation and working within the seasons is absolutely critical so from a forward point of view and thinking of how you're going to control your cost that clear communication is key Uh, and also you know you don't want to stifle your staff uh, and not be innovative and creative so for me uh, when I develop menus I like them to be changing on an ongoing basis rather than to be changing a menu two or three times a year I like it to be evolving all the time and that just creates uh, creativity and innovation within a kitchen and there's sometimes, and you'll probably uh, agree with me here on this, Mark, that, you know, sometimes you come across a dish by using something of another dish, another component from another dish, and it just marries perfect. And uh, that's that's the beauty of it is to really drive that innovation and creativity, but also controlling your costs and knowing where you're spending your money. OK, so the idea is kind of have your standardised recipes, but then adapt them throughout the seasons, throughout the year, according to changing ingredients and changing prices. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's an easier method than to change a menu two or three times a year. It's easier for the kitchen con- to control and you're constantly reviewing your prices. So you're constantly reviewing the, the markup on each one of those dishes. And as you change an ingredient, you can kind of go up or down, but that gives you the information to allow you to have a look at, okay, do I reformulate that slightly? What's in season? What is kind of creeping up now? Um, and getting a little bit expensive. And it just gives you that flexibility. And again, information is key. Yeah, Mark, look, as Niall said, you, I mean, you do want to keep the creativity, you want to keep your team motivated, you want to keep your customers interested and you want to provide variety. And I know, you know, in, in your work, you work in a very competitive environment and margins are tight. So can you really 
you know, use quality local and artisan ingredients and still keep your food costs in check. Oh, 100%. I think now more than ever, it's the time to make sure that you're focusing on what's local and what's best and what's best at that time of year. And one of the things, I think now I made some great points there, one of the things that we encourage with our partners um, and with our growers is actually market reports so they can tell us what's at, at its best. So we know that the yield out of it is going to be good. We know that we don't have to do an awful lot to uh, the product to make it actually taste amazing. So a prime example, if we buy some beautiful heritage carrots from one of our farms that we use, we know that there's not going to have to be an awful lot done to those carrots to make them actually sing on the plate and that's really really uh, important but if you don't know that from that relationship how are you going to know how to produce them so that's really really important and i think it's also it's, it's crucial now more than ever that people understand that value is key but value doesn't always have to mean that it's the cheapest uh, people have an expectation about what their food on the plate should be and for me it's all about education and explain it to your customer why you're using that carrot or why you're using I don't know, a fantastic piece of beef or fish um, and where it came from and the whole story with it because people like that emotional attachment. Um, and the chefs also in the kitchen have a lot of respect then when they understand the effort that goes in to get that, that product to you. So they totally buy in and are invested in it and it's, it's a win-win for everybody. And would you have suppose, tips or maybe examples for the businesses that are listening around ways that you maybe redesign or re-engineer a dish so that you can incorporate quality local ingredients but still meet your food cost targets? I think we go back and question everything we do um, on a weekly basis. We get reports every week if there's any changes in market prices. But also we go back and see what's, what sells and what doesn't sell. And we have to be a little bit ruthless when we're talking about our menus and how we engineer them. If it's not selling, it's sitting there just in stock and deteriorating. And it ends up becoming wastage out of date or overproduction. So we constantly go back and evaluate and we deal in data as regards just emotional decisions about why we want to keep a dish on the menu. So it's constantly going back, seeing what sells, what doesn't sell. Um, and if it's a dish where we really, really want to push because it gives us a better profit, it's how we market and how we uh, position that dish on our menu um, and what we say about it that we, uh, we tend to focus on. Okay. And I suppose, I mean, when you do buy in those quality ingredients, I mean, it's so important to use every every element of it, isn't it? And make sure that nothing goes to waste. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a big, it, it's a big challenge for chefs when they're costing dishes that they understand it's not just about using the prime cut. It's what you can do with everything else to give you the better GP and a better food cost. So for us is when we look at a piece of meat that comes in or fish, it's how we can use every piece of it to maximize the return. Um, also storage, when we get it in, how we keep it and how we store it. We use an awful lot like around backpacks because they're really, really good at keeping keeping things marinated for a bit longer and keeping that shelf life a bit better. And also we try portion as quickly as we can so that we know that when we're just using things, it's an exact portion. But also when we're using veg trimmings and everything else, can we use them in a stock? Can we use them to do something else? Peelings from a parsnip can be turned into parsnip crisps as a bar snack, as an example. Everything is looked at and how we can maximize the full return on it. Okay. And would you take the approach of, if you were to, you know, I suppose, like you mentioned there, bringing local meat, you know, that might be a bit more expensive. Is it a question of, I suppose, as you said, using different cuts, but maybe even a little bit less protein on the plate? One of the one of the incentives that we put on is trying to flip the message instead of always just focusing on the protein that goes on. And it's nothing um, different. We're just trying to highlight either the pulse or the grain or the vegetables as well on the plate so that we don't always have to give as much protein as maybe we did in the past. It's not about doing something cheaper. It's just making sure that the balance of the plate reflects probably what's more uh, about society these days. Yeah, absolutely. More more sustainable. And I know in our next episode, we will be delving much more deeply into the whole area of, of food waste. Um, 
Okay, we'll be right back after a quick break to hear about some Fulcher Ireland supports. Fulcher Ireland's new breakfast toolkit contains expert advice and practical tools that are applicable to all areas of food and service. You can find the breakfast toolkit and more helpful supports and guidance on the operational performance section under strategic F&B operations on our COVID-19 business support hub at fulcherireland.ie. Okay, now let's come back to some of those, the key principles that people need to consider then around managing food costs. So what exactly is margin erosion? That's something I've heard you talk about. Where does that happen? And I suppose how can businesses put steps in place to manage it? Oh, right. Don't get me started about margin erosion. I guess I, I probably you can probably relate to this as well, Mark. You know, if you've ever been at a financial meeting at the end of the month and you're looking at your P&L, you know, and your food cost is over by about 3% and you know, you've done all the hard work. You've had a look at, you know, every cost of every dish and you kind of go, yeah, I meet my margins on every single dish. But you're sitting there and go, Niall, you're, you know, you're over budget by 3%. Where are you losing that money? And you don't know. It's an awful feeling. So it's really looking at where you're losing that money. And I always approach uh, margin erosion. I say to chefs, I used to say to chefs in my kitchen, you know, fill up that colander uh, with water and lift it up out of the sink and see it leaking. I said, that's your margin erosion. And what you have to do, you have to almost forensically look at where the possibilities that you're losing money each dish. So you've done all the hard work and you've got to plug out those holes and it might not necessarily be any one thing. I mean, there's, there's easy ones that you can kind of figure out. So if you comp a meal in a restaurant uh, and you say you do 100 covers and you comp 10 meals, like that's margin erosion. That's eating into your margin. Uh, and I always approach it in the way that I do a, a HACCP system. So a HACCP system is for food safety, but I approach margin erosion uh, in the same format. I have a look at where the critical control points is of where I can be possible to be losing money and that's from the back door so you know am i getting the right produce is the product being weighed properly am i getting what i what i basically paid for am i over ordering is there spoilage there like these are all areas that is eating into your margin and this is margin erosion then the other area is portioning are we over portioning am i not getting my achieved uh, desirable yield from that dish yeah and then the whole area of yield analysis which is absolutely incredible and i've done some absolutely unbelievable exercises on yield analysis so for you to identify where you lose money on this dish I always put in like simple KPIs to try and control this and manage this. Uh, and it could be the case where, you know, it's a recording of how much was made of the dish, how much we portioned and where the waste was. And this gives me information to really analyze where I'm losing money and stop it because that's what it is. You're really just kind of stopping that margin erosion. But again, it's not any one thing. It's a lot of little things and you need to protect your margin at all costs. Mark, what what are your experiences around where margin erosion can commonly occur? Oh, I could go on all day, uh, Ruth, and I think Niall's covered an awful lot there. I think you have to remember that your menu is the most important part of your marketing when you're sitting with a customer and they're just making those choices. So what you put on your menu and how you sell it and how you present it and how you market it will deal will lead to how they make their choices. So for me, it's very, very simple. Like I mean, it's about you understanding how best to balance your menu uh, so that you can maximize your opportunities as well. I also think as well, like, I mean, I think the guys in the kitchen have a big responsibility about 
when they're putting a dish together and um, what that looks like. So it's not always just always expensive ingredients just because it sounds pretty and it makes it look better on the plate. It's also understanding your cooking procedures as you go along. So it's a bit like your, how the yield gets changed as you work with your dish from cooking to your raw weight to your cooked weight. Um, and also like about, as Noel said, about how you can maximize the return from that, that product that you're using so that yeah, it's not always expensive dishes that, that may not always sell. And it's if you're putting on a special that you get the opportunity to A, use a product that's always been there, but also that uh, works really well to give you a better GP. Okay, and you mentioned about yield there and, and Niall spoke about yield analysis. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that concept and examples of how that, that can impact on food costs? Given that we work in large volume, I suppose, and what we do in, in Gather and Gather, a simple thing for us is if we, if we don't get our yields right, it actually wipes out all the good work that our guys do. So for me, it's you understand the raw weight and the cooked weight of a product so that you can allow for shrinkage when you're doing your costings. You understand the portion weight that needs to be. You understand that your recipes all are, are specs, but you also understand that as you scale up for 10 to 100 to two or 300 in portions, the actual recipe does change it doesn't always mean that it's just straight multiplication all the time you have to go and continuously taste record and analyze so that you know that you're getting the balance of the dish and not sacrificing the quality but it doesn't mean that instead of i don't know 10 onions that you now have to use 100 onions because sometimes the dish won't take that so it's understanding as you cook um everything from raw to cooked what the shrinkage levels looks like and what kind of wastage is on it but also as you scale those recipes up for volume that you understand what that does to the dish and how it affects the cost Okay, and Niall, you mentioned yield analysis there is something that is hugely important and you've seen some really interesting results around it. So I suppose I have what read, kind of... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I, you know what, I find yield analysis fascinating. It's a real area where you can actually uh, maximize uh, the potential of that dish and save money. And I'm going to give you an example. I was working for a client and they would not compromise on the quality of ingredients that they get in. So that was at the forefront of their whole ethos. So uh, they asked me, would they have a look at, at their menu and have a look at their menu costings? So when I kind of zone in, I have a look at really the high volume menu items and I, I kind of dive deep into the food costs into these. And it was one dish in particular it was a beef salad dish and it was really high volume because it had multiple locations but the, the the margin was really low on it so i wanted to really kind of analyze that so i had a look at the cut of beef they were using and they were using um, a roasting strip so uh, to give you an example it was coming in at say 14.95 uh, a kilo uh, untrimmed so by the time we trimmed it and but by the time we cooked it so the cooked weight was ending up at 33 euros a kilo with with the loss of the fat uh, and the shrinkage from cooking so this dish was measured on the gram so it was very very meticulous so i said okay listen i think we can do something here without compromising on the quality i said are you open to me really working on this dish and they said yeah so i had a look at a different cut of meat so i used i used the heart of the round and i slow cooked the heart of the round into small pieces a bit like fillet of beef uh at 54 degrees for 12 hours and i slow cooked it uh, it was coming in at 10.95 a kilo and there was zero shrinkage on it zero weight loss on it so Basically, on the bottom line, we were able to save this company eight grand a year, 8,000. So that comes straight off your bottom line. So I find this fascinating. And one more example, it was a dry cured bacon versus wet cured bacon. And this company were using a couple of tonne of wet cured bacon on a yearly basis. And I was able to demonstrate that by using a dry cured bacon, which was more expensive, by the way, per kilo, they had a better yield. And it was actually cheaper to use in their dishes. So, you know, you can also, you know, and what Mark was saying, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. So by using quality ingredients, you potentially have yes, less yield loss on it, which potentially works out cheaper. 
in your food cost. Another great example was in my own business. I was losing about a half percent on uh, on certain on dishes, and I couldn't figure out where I was losing the yield on it because we had weighed everything and we were we had KPIs, but I was losing I was losing a uh, weight on evaporation. So I used to say to the guys in the kitchen, you know, I used to grab the steam off of one of the dishes. Okay, that's money going up into the air. So we put another process in place where we basically measured the, the chilled weight as well as the cooked weight uh, and to see where the difference was. And at that stage, we were able to correct the dish so we got the proper yields on it. Well, that 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 really is really interesting and a lot of things there that you might not think of. So Mark is that your experience i mean i'm wondering are there other areas that you think people really need to think about in terms of efficiencies around their food whether maybe not necessarily you know as you and Niall both said not necessarily price related but but other experiences you've had where you can really achieve efficiency uh, or maybe even economies of scale but without compromising quality and still avoiding waste Oh, that's a tough one. I, I, I personally, myself, Ruth, I think it goes back to that relationship. And I keep saying it, and it all sounds stupidly simple, but if you understand what you're getting through the back door and into your kitchen for your guys to work with, they understand how that's produced. They'll have a lot more respect for it. Also, we'll come in wastage. I, I just I keep going talking to all of our chefs in, in their kitchens about looking and managing their wastage and understanding, like, I mean, if you take too much off the top of a courgette or a cucumber, or if you overpeel a certain um, root vegetable or something like that, that's that's just waste and that's money going out. And all the other hard work that you do just means for nothing. And yes, you can make your pickles and you can ferment and you can make your kimchi all and, and everything else and all like that. But there's only so much of that you'll sell if you're not just a, a cure, an amount of waste that just takes all your profit away. So it's really, really important a wastage that they understand that it is actually money and not just trimmings that they're throwing out in the bin. I mean, which really kind of goes to highlight, I suppose, that this can't just be a decision uh, or a policy at the top. You really need to have the whole team on board with it. You need total buy-in because the younger, less experienced chefs uh, will lose you just as much as your senior chefs if they don't understand the value of that product or why it has to be prepped a certain way or why why you shave a piece of celeriac so close so you, you get the ma- maximum return of it. So small little things like that. And it comes back to even the basics of knife skills and understanding how to use your knife when you're pairing something or understanding actually even the cooking process so you're not overcooking. So not only is it losing the vitamin and nutrients, but it's actually leading to massive amount of shrinkage and a product that, you know, you have to use double the amount to get actually kind of impact out of. Right. So as as you would say, moving moving away completely from the idea of you just do it because I told you to do it and really explaining to people why they're doing what they're doing. The most dangerous language or the most dangerous sentence in the English language is because we've always done it this way. So if you go back and challenge, like, I mean, is there a better way to do things? It's like everybody wants to see chicken on the menu and just buy chicken breast, buy chicken toys put a marinade, put some spice onto it, do something with it. It takes probably that little bit more teak, but it's a much, much better product as well. Like buy some of the lesser uh, known fish and highlight and champion them so you can get a lot more out of your menu. Also challenge your chefs to be a little bit more creative about what they do. So things like that, yeah, because you know, wastage is so, so key to what you do in the kitchen. I have a great story. I remember where we had this one kitchen uh, where the guys used to cook 50 croissants every day for breakfast. And they used to say to me, oh, but we won't waste them because when they're finished, we'll move them over to the coffee bar or whatever, and we'll sell them there. Um, and if they don't sell there, we'll take them back in and we won't throw them out. We'll make bread and butter pudding with croissants over. And I said, that's great. But every day they put 50 on again. 
So and I said, maybe we just cook 20 and we even need more. We'll batch cook a little bit more. So just, you know, like go back and challenging people and yourself into what you do on a daily basis to see how you best can change that. Great. So considering everything that we've just talked about, what are your top tips for every business who are, that's listening on, on taking action to improve their food cost management? Niall, I'll start with you. I guess for me is the whole ordering, you know, don't overorder. Like it's, you know, it's really dangerous it, in one sense that it's money sitting on the shelf and in the second sense that it's spoilage. So it can be unnecessarily. Control your portions. Portion control is key. Yield analysis is key. And then, you know, for me, there is a lot of tools out there available. Archer Ireland have a, have a great food costing template uh, that they use in their breakfast toolkit. Uh, but this could be used for lunch, breakfast, all day dining, you know, and they've also a couple of training programs that they've developed on menu engineering and food costing so you know i think upskilling your team and involving them in the process is is key you know so that they feel that they have a say and that they can make a real difference because as they make a real difference you know there's the opportunity uh, for the business to grow and for them to grow within the business great mark that was more than one point Noel. Uh, i know sorry no, you can you can give several <laughs> tips if you like <laughs> i think the big thing for me is understanding what your product is far too often as i've been doing this job over the years over the many years i've seen too many chefs not have any understanding of what the product they were using or why they were using it so they didn't know how to treat it respect it cook it or get the best out of it so i think the big thing for me is wastage is everything wastage you can wipe out your profits um, no matter all the hard work you've done but also the big thing for me is they have to understand that product why they're using it why it's in that dish and how they're going to maximize and get the best out of it Brilliant. Thank you so much. That brings us to the end of our third episode of Inside Food. My thanks to Niall and Mark for sharing their experience and expertise. You can find practical tools on food cost management in the Breakfast Toolkit on the COVID-19 Business Support Hub at fallcherireland.ie. Niall will be back again in the next episode when we'll be joined by IRFU performance chef Morris McGeehan for a discussion on food waste. Join us then and thanks for listening. The Inside Tourism Business Podcast is brought to you by Falcha Ireland, the National Tourism Development Authority. Subscribe now on your favourite streaming platform and join us next time for more expert advice and insights.